surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About It with Taylor Nolan. I'm your host, Taylor, and today is a very different episode than anything I've done before. Um, today we're actually having one of you listeners come on, and I got this email from her, and we're gonna keep confidentiality here, but um, and you know remain anonymous, but. Um, she wrote me this email and shared with me a little bit about some, uh, you know, sexual abuse that she had growing up. Uh, you know, she is a PhD student currently, almost finished, um, and just had a really like moving story. And I was like, you know, I haven't done an episode on PTSD. I haven't done one kind of focused on EMDR, uh, which is a form of uh, treatment for trauma, and. She also like has a cat, and I was just kind of like, I I, I feel moved <laughs> by this by this uh, listener by this email, and so we've touched base, and um, we're here on Facetime now. Uh, so welcome to the show, and I'm so excited to have you come on and and talk with me about this stuff. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's it's you know definitely a little bit different, and I'm not sure you know where the pod will take me or all of us, uh, in what direction. But, you know, I think one of the biggest things that I love about the pod is being able to influence people, uh, and helping people feel connected through our real authentic stories. And the fact that you're like open and willing to be so incredibly brave and authentic with sharing this stuff is just I, I want to say inspiring, but I don't like that word. <laughs> but it's it's very moving, and I and I honestly, it feels very much like a privilege that like you're open to sharing this very vulnerable part of your life with all of us today. So thank you. Yeah, not a problem. Yeah. So my goodness, where where do we start? I mean, I got some pieces of your story uh, when we spoke briefly on the phone, but I mean, essentially. You're you're getting your PhD in school counseling, right? School psychology. School psychology. So, yeah, like diagnosing learning disabilities and making sure that everyone in special ed is getting the support that they need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, when exactly? I guess we'll just kind of go through like a timeline. Cool. Was kind of my thought. Um, yeah. To get you know to kind of where you got to where you're at now, um, and I think one point that I think is really important for us to, to kind of dive into that you'd brought up is uh, the sexual abuse within your family, because that yep. is definitely something that does not get talked about. No, not <laughs> at all. Not at all. I feel like it's, I mean, it's, it's difficult to talk about sexual abuse or rape when it's someone outside of the family. Mm-hmm. Very difficult. But then when it's inside the family, it's definitely, there's an extra layer of shame there and an extra layer of people trying to keep you quiet Mm-hmm. Um, to not share what's happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was nine the mm-hmm. first time that my older brother raped me. Um, he's three years older than me. And so I was just told, like, this is what all older brothers do. And this is just completely normal. Like, this is not weird. But you can't tell anyone. Like, you can't tell your friends. You can't tell our parents you because I will kill you if you tell someone. And as a nine-year-old, you believe that. Yeah. Um, you kind of look up to your older brother and think that they kind of know how to live in the world and you just accept that they have your best interest at heart. And mm-hmm. so um that just kind of continued. Um it would be regular like several times a week um for about five years. Mm-hmm. Um and so when I was 14, I was starting ninth grade and starting high school was like a really big deal. Mm-hmm. And I told myself at the beginning of that summer, I was like, I will not start high school and have this still happening to me because mm-hmm. that's, it just, it, everything always still felt wrong about it. I just didn't have the words or the way to express it. Mm-hmm. I just didn't understand like who I could tell. 
Um, you were like, so, something's not right here. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everything was not hunky-dory because I watched my friends who had older brothers, like, not ever interact mm-hmm. with their older brothers that way. And so I was like, well, something's off. But obviously, I couldn't tell anyone because I was terrified. And yeah. so I just kind of kept quiet. Um, mm-hmm. But I was actually watching. It's super weird. I was watching Dr. Phil one day. Um <laughs> No, as a 14-year-old, it was, like, a thing that I did. Yeah. <laughs> and um, super random. And he had a little boy on the show whose grandfather had been abusing him. And he mm. was probably seven or eight, and he was on the show talking about it and how important it was mm. that he, like, told his parents and all of the the help that he got because of that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, that's it. Like, I have to do it. I have to tell my parents. And so I wrote a note to my mom, mm. and I put it under her pillow. <laughs> and then I went to bed. <laughs> That's really I sweet. Yeah, like I couldn't physically get the words out of my mm-hmm. mouth without like losing it. And so yeah. I wrote it all down and put it under her pillow. Um, and then so she found it later that night and came in and woke me up and basically was like, is this true? Like, are you making this up? Where did you see this? Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, like this, this happened to me. Like, I, I don't know if you understand, but like, I'm scared to live in this house. Like, I don't want mm-hmm. to be here. And so she said that she would talk to him. And so she went into his room and talked to him and basically came back and told me, like, you were making it all up. Um, and if it did happen, it's your fault. It's because you, um, dressed a certain way or like you walked from the bathroom to your room in a towel. And so of course that kind of like gives him license to do that mm-hmm. if it did happen. And so I was met, I thought I was going to be met with support and love and help. And I was met with you're crazy, which mm-hmm. just kind of reinforced the notion that, I'm the crazy one and that I'm the one that has no touch on reality. And um, so that's just kind of how I went through high school. It was yeah. like, I mean, that's clearly complete. no one understands this. Yeah. That's like very, very invalidating. Um, and I'm curious if, if you can think back to then and identify like how that felt for you. It was really hard. And I think a lot of it, I like pushed down. Like Mm -hmm. I remember kind of going through high school, not really feeling much of anything. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that was just kind of my like subconscious coping mechanism. Like there was no one that I could talk to about it that felt safe and comfortable. And so I just kind of like shoved everything down. Um, Mm-hmm. And, and now, when when we spoke before, you had mentioned too that you had had a younger brother. Yes, and yeah. similar things were happening with him as well. Yeah, yeah. So he's three years younger than me, mm-hmm. um, and so he was also being abused by my older brother. And then, I mean, there were times when like we would all be in the same room, and so like we kind of um, banded together a little bit. Like after I told my mom, and it stopped my younger brother and I kind of banded together like, okay, how are we Mm -hmm. going to get over this? Um, Like you two could talk to each other about it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so he, um, developed OCD. Um, he had an obsessive thought that, um, basically like God was out to get him. Mm -hmm. And so his compulsion was obsessively reading the Bible and taking notes. Um, Mm -hmm. and so he would have like notebooks and notebooks full of, just stuff that Mm -hmm. he had written. Um, And that was a very noticeable thing for my Mm -hmm. family. Like it was very obvious that he was always in his room doing this. I mean, he would stay up all night and do this because he just Mm -hmm. had this idea that like he was dirty and God was out to get him. And so my parents definitely responded to that differently because he reacted to things in a very outward way. Whereas Mm -hmm. I just kind of shoved everything in and pushed it down as far as I could. Mm -hmm. So he did end up, I mean, he had a, psychiatrist and a psychologist going through like middle school and high school um where I did did not not. and and you didn't reach out to um like there were school counselors and whatnot there and yeah yeah so I grew up in a really really small town and so it Mm. literally was everyone knew everyone and like my high school counselor was my best friend's mom and so it was just I mean it's just it would have really kind of shaken everything up Mm -hmm. had I said something um just because it was like everyone would have known um yeah so I mean you were really silenced and invalidated and I imagine didn't feel very safe no no I mean I like 
I remember every night when I would go to bed, I would shut my door, lock it, and put a chair under it every night mm-hmm. um, just because I was trying to do anything I could to be able to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my brother went off to college about six hours away starting my sophomore year of high school. So about a year after I told my parents, he did leave for college. Um, and so things got a little bit easier to be at mm-hmm. home, but it still was like there's this giant elephant in the room that yeah. literally no one will acknowledge, and I'm the only one that like really realizes that it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents are really, really good at not seeing things and just, mm-hmm. they have blinders on just like all of us do, but they especially have blinders on when it comes to me. Um, and just not really thinking that anything could have possibly happened. And mm-hmm. how could you be affected by something that didn't happen? Yeah. So, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, as as someone who very much has to speak her mind on on everything, that I I can't imagine being put in a in a situation like that. And I mean, talking about it now, like you seem very much like you know, like you've kind of processed it, but you almost kind of talk about it like very like matter of factly. Like, yes. Yeah. yeah I, this is it. I tend not to like feel emotions very easily. And so Mm -hmm. I tend to like, especially with this kind of stuff, I've just sort of rehearsed the script of it so much Mm -hmm. that it's like, oh yeah, like, of course this is just what happened. And this Mm -hmm. is the timeline and like this happened and then this, but there is still like a lot of emotion and sadness and anger there. Um, Mm -hmm. mostly because the, the issue still hasn't resolved. Like it's an ongoing thing that my parents don't believe that anything happened. And so it's not like, all of a sudden now they're really supportive, but it was hard. Cause I think as a teenager, like that's a really formative time for mm-hmm. your like identity and kind of your personality and who you are. And to have that kind of totally invalidated mm-hmm. was definitely difficult. Yeah. And as a teenager, that's when you're like exploring things sexually typically. Yeah. So I mean, how then did you go forward, you know, in relationships or developing relationships with other yeah. boys? Like how did that kind of impact you? Yeah. So I, um, let's see in high school, I definitely for a while, like slept around, um, Mm -hmm. just because it was like, okay, well, this is how I know that I can get attention and Mm -hmm. how like I can feel validated is through this. And so I, um, I think that's common even for people who haven't experienced the sexual (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like, I want validation and this is a way that I can get it. And Mm -hmm. it feels safe. I think I just, I knew how to do that and like Mm -hmm. be in that role. I mean, I literally like would put a pillow over my face or like be crying the whole time, but it was just something that I like knew I could do. And Mm -hmm. then someone would pay attention to me. Um, Mm -hmm. and then I, um, I went, let's see my senior year of high school. I dated someone. Um, and I, you know, thought I was going to marry him because Mm -hmm. everyone thinks they're going to marry their high school boyfriend. Um, but he, like I told him everything that happened and he kind mm-hmm. of was just like, okay. And like moved on with his day, which, you know, typical 17 year old boy reaction to something like that. Um, mm-hmm. but again, that was just like another layer of invalidation. It was like, yeah. okay, like sure that may have happened to you, but it can't mm-hmm. affect you. Um, was there anyone in your life that like, even, even maybe at, you know, up until, uh, now who's, who you've been able to find that like, will hug you when you share this stuff or like be there with you for you to like feel what it actually feels like to have experienced all of this and like to just let you be vulnerable and have a safe place to talk about it. Yeah. So I definitely, um, it actually wasn't until I came to grad school. So about four years ago, um, was the first time that I really felt like I had met a friend that was like Mm. able to let me be me. Um, she's absolutely fantastic. She'll be really angry that I mentioned her, but, (laughs) um, she like, I mean, we are literally inseparable. We do everything together and I can call her and just be sobbing my eyes out and not say anything for 30 minutes. And that's just like completely okay. Um, and so I'm really grateful to have her, um, Mm -hmm. just because it has been pretty isolating in college. I dated, um, a guy, I went to school really far away from where I grew up. Um, but I actually met this guy from, 
back home. Um, and so we were dating long distance and we would hang out over breaks. Um, and he was incredibly abusive, just, I mean, textbook, like you shouldn't wear blue today because I don't like that color. Um, mm. You can't hang out with those people. And so I really didn't have friends going through college yeah. just because I was very isolated because I was dating him. And I thought that that was like the greatest thing in the world. Mm. And I was like, well, I have a boyfriend. So like yep. everything's all right. It doesn't matter if I have friends. I have yeah. a boyfriend. And, and as women were always told to that our value is based on like yes. us having a relationship. And yes. even yeah. you're even told that, I mean, in a way by your parents of saying, you know, well, you shouldn't have dressed that way or you can't walk yes. from your bathroom to your yeah. bedroom and your and towel. It's like I was, I was literally nine like, I don't understand. Like, I mean, one, that logic never holds true. Yeah. But two, like, I was nine. Yeah, like how a nine-year-old <laughs> comprehends that, like... Right. That must... I mean, that's putting all of the blame on you. Like, that's... Oh, like, yeah. For sure. For sure. And so there was just a lot of kind of shame that was internalized. Mm-hmm. And I pretended it did. It wasn't there and it didn't exist. Um, but it always did. Mm-hmm. And it would always pop out at inopportune times. So it's always there. Mm -hmm. I just for a long time pretended it wasn't because I didn't feel like I would be validated if I said like, no, this is what I actually think about on Mm -hmm. a daily basis. Like this is what I'm really going through. I didn't feel like that would be met with any support. Mm -hmm. And then how, I mean, I get emails and and questions about this all the time of like, how do you know, like to talk someone, to talk to someone like, you know, especially when you are already met with some kind of rejection or invalidation, like how do you then actually find someone who will be supportive and who will listen? Yeah. So I, um, let's see, when I started grad school, I, um, I had seen a couple therapists. Um, I saw one, at my undergrad university. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just not a good fit whatsoever. And so I went mm-hmm. probably three or four times and I was like, I mm-hmm. really, can this isn't t- going to work. Can you touch on why that wasn't a good fit? Like what yeah, made um, you know that? Yeah. So I went to a, um, Christian undergrad. And so the counseling center there was very focused on Christian based counseling, mm. um, which I mean is, wonderful. But I think that they were looking at my experience through the lens of religion and not Mm. through the lens of like, I can't get out of bed in the morning. Mm -hmm. And like, I need help. Like I need to be down here getting help before I can even think about anything else. And so I think that it was just a very, it wasn't what I needed. Mm -hmm. It's nothing against her or anything. It just wasn't what I needed at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. So when I started grad school, I thought I had it all together. I was like, Mm -hmm. I graduated. I have a bachelor's in psychology and I'm like all that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I started grad school and I like started making friends and that was weird for me. And I was like, I definitely have it all together. Like, this is it. I'm over everything. It's totally fine. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it was probably about two weeks after I moved here. Um, I got super, super drunk at a party and I started telling everyone like, Hey, my brother raped me when I was little. Hey. Mm. And I was like going around to everyone and saying that. And it made me like really realize like, okay. That like, like literally just I, gave me goosebumps. Yeah. Like, I was like, I think I have it all together, but I really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at that point, um, I kind of was like, okay, like maybe I can give this one more shot mm-hmm. at finding someone to, work with this on. Um, and so I ended up going to the university counseling center. Um, and I at first got matched up with someone that really wasn't a great fit for me. Um, it was a guy and that for me felt very weird, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know how to express that. And so I stopped going. And then about six months later, I was like, this isn't going away. So I went back and I got matched up with, um, the girl who was my counselor for about three years. Um, Mm -hmm. and she is a literal godsend, like Mm -hmm. the most wonderful person I've ever met in my entire life. Um, she is amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, but it definitely wasn't without trial and error. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times people expect like, Oh, if I decide I'm going to go to therapy, it's a big risk. And so you want it to pay off and it doesn't always pay off right away. Mm -hmm. And that can be really scary for people and make them kind of want to shy away from trying again. But I promise like if you stick with it, you will Mm -hmm. find the right person that's the best fit for you. Yeah. And one thing I want kind of both of us to address, because I know I get a lot of questions uh, about this as well, 
being someone in the field of psychology, being someone who is, you know, in the, in a helping field and seeking your own counseling, how did yeah. you wrap your head around that? How did that feel being like, I just got my bachelor's in psychology and I need to go see a therapist. Like, how did you process that? Yeah, it was definitely, I just kind of went through thinking like, well, I don't need therapy. Like I, I know Mm -hmm. what they're going to tell me. Like I Mm -hmm. know everything that's going to happen. So there's really no need for me to even go. Um, and then I just kind of started realizing that like, just because I chose this as a profession doesn't mean that I'm automatically like immune to mental health concerns. Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't, there's not like a get out of jail free card when you sign up to be in the helping field that like, Oh, I don't have to deal with these issues. Like Mm -hmm. we all do. And so I think that it was just kind of, um, almost like getting over my own ego about it and just saying like, you know what, like I need to get help for myself so Mm -hmm. that I can help other people because you can't pour from a cup that's empty and my cup was like bone dry for years and so it was just I just had to kind of get over myself Mm -hmm. but also like I had support from a couple of my friends in grad school that were like it's okay like Mm -hmm. you don't have to have it all together all the time just because you signed up for this program Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely I mean I completely agree and I would say uh for me something similar of just I think I think Really, the the biggest point that you said was like, it's kind of an ego thing too of like, you know, like I'm going to be the helper. I don't need it. And, um, (laughs) you know, through not only my experience on the show, but even just being like a young woman in counseling, there's so many times where it's like, you know, if if you have one mistake with some kind of, you know, interpersonal relationship that it's like, oh, well, how could you possibly be a counselor? Oh my gosh. And it's kind of like you have to humanize yourself for a second and be like, hold on, like... Yeah. Well, and that's like saying to a nurse, like, well, you're a nurse. How could you possibly get like a cut on your knee or something? And it's like, but it happens to Mm -hmm. everyone. Like it's, you're not immune to it just because you're in a certain field. And, but I definitely think there's a, um, I think there's pressure put uniquely on Mm -hmm. the helping fields with regard to mental health. Absolutely. When it comes to seeking help and it Mm -hmm. is definitely not ideal. Yeah, but and I'm really glad and happy to hear that there were people in your program that were supportive of it and that yes. you didn't let uh, this trauma and these experiences make you think that you were someone that couldn't be in this field. Right. Right. And it was, it was hard in undergrad, I think, cause I would like, we'd be reading through a textbook or reading like a memoir or something. And I would be like, that's my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I obviously didn't tell anyone about that, but mm-hmm. it, it definitely was hard. And I think the guy that I was dating at, at the time had a really negative view on that. And he was like, well, how can you help other people when you're like this worthless person? And I'm like, and so it was hard to fight through that mm-hmm. and say, like, just because I don't have it all together doesn't mean I can't still help. Yeah, exactly. And also that in a way through through getting the education, you are in a way helping yourself to also then be able to help other people too. I mean, oh, I definitely. think... I think it, it it could definitely be a whole other conversation on being yeah. someone in the helping field seeking to help. Um, yeah. But I, I think bottom line, you know, you're human as well. And especially when you've had some kind of trauma and you're continuously getting triggered by something, you know, it sounds like this kind of continually was coming up for you and you're like, I oh, should address sure. this. I, I know this is something I need to deal with, but maybe I'm yeah. not ready just yet. Um, yeah. And then you started yeah. with this wonderful woman in yes. your program. Yeah. And how did so that... She... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, and like, how did that go for you? Like what kinds of things came up? What kind of things were you able to like take away from it? Like... Yeah. Yeah. So I was... Um, I saw her for about three years, like mm-hmm. at least once a week. It was sometimes twice. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we just had a really, really strong relationship. And I think for about the first year, I was really good at... Um, like talking 
out of one side of my mouth, but meaning something completely different. Hmm. Like I would say like, oh no, I'm fine. Like this is just a thing that happened to me, but like, I'm fine. This doesn't bother me. Um, And she pretty quickly got really good at calling me out on that Mm -hmm. and was like, no, you're not. Like Mm -hmm. you are not okay. I can see it on your face. Like you're not okay. Yeah. Tell me what's really going on. And I, I hated her for that for a while because Mm -hmm. I was like, well, no, like, let me just tell you it's fine and we can move on. You're like, stop telling Um, me I'm not okay. I'm trying so hard to be okay. And I've convinced myself I'm okay. (laughs) Yeah. Like don't break down this facade that I have built for myself. Mm -hmm. It's working. Um, but in the end, I mean, I have been so, so grateful for her ability to literally just see through any wall I put up and tell me like, you're lying. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it I mean, like you guys now, had good rapport for her to be able to do that. Oh, too. for sure. For sure. I mean, at the, um, like pretty far into our relationship, it was literally like, there was just a look mm-hmm. and like, I knew when she gave me the look, it was like, shoot, I'm mm-hmm. like making this up. Like yeah. <laughs> I am not really feeling this. I'm just saying it. Yeah. Um, but so I spent a long time with her just kind of like going through the motions, saying what I thought I should say, mm-hmm. um, because I, kind of knew how this was going to go and I was going to walk in and she was going to say like, what has been going on? And I would just say like, Oh, everything's great. And then I would be able to leave. Mm-hmm. And that is not what happened. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not even close. Yeah. So, um, about a year, yeah, about a year in, um, her, she is a grad student as well. Um, and so she had like a university supervisor. Mm -hmm. And so that supervisor, um, really wanted to try, um, prolonged exposure with me, which is basically like, I would sit in a room with the two of them and they would have me pick a memory that I could remember and then close my eyes and recount like every detail of that. Like, what are you seeing? What are you smelling? What are you tasting? Like, what are you hearing? Um, and just kind of work through that story. Mm -hmm. Um, but it involved me, like using words and talking about things that I didn't want to talk about. Like I had to say like, oh, I'm seeing like my brother with no clothes on. And that's Mm -hmm. really an awkward thing. And so I think I just had my own walls up. Mm -hmm. And I think that that therapy is definitely beneficial for a lot of people. It just wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then after that, um, EMDR came up as a potential other option. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, do you want to get into a little bit about like what that is and what your experience was with that? Cause I know that's a treatment yeah. that like, I think has been put out there and like some people know what it is and other people don't. Yeah. People that like kind of know what it is. They're like, that sounds foo-foo-y. What are you talking about? It, no, I remember the first time that she told me about it. I was like, no, like there's no way. Like I, I mean, I'll go read the research, but no, mm-hmm. like I, I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, so essentially, um, I would sit and she would have me pull up like a, um, a scene in my head, like a memory of something that had happened. And then I would tell her like what the most distressing part of that memory is. Mm -hmm. And then I would rate my distress on a scale of zero to 10 with zero being this doesn't bother me at all. And 10 being, I don't want to think about this anymore. I need to get out. Mm -hmm. Um, and then she would have me identify like a negative cognition that that made me believe about myself. So a lot of the ones that I was, um, prone to going back to where like, I'm worthless. Like nobody will love you. Like you're mm-hmm. crazy. Um, like no one will believe you. Those are kind of the like trademark ones for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she, so she used her fingers. I know there are some people that use like bells or music. Mm-hmm. Um, so she would, some people yeah. use the finger tapping. Oh yeah. 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 Um, so she would basically just put two fingers like out in front of her and she would have me follow her fingers with my eyes. Um, and then when she was done, I would take a deep breath. And then I had a couple minutes to just say literally whatever came to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember thinking like, there's literally no way that you are going to wave your fingers in front of my eyes. It sounded like hypnotism, to be mm-hmm. honest. It was like, this is 
ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first time that we did it, I remember it was probably like 15 minutes in, I was sobbing and like all of these things were coming up that mm-hmm. I like hadn't remembered or hadn't thought about. And so essentially the like bottom line of the therapy is, um, well, EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which is a mouthful. Yes, it is. Um, but thank you for saying it. So I didn't have to say it. <laughs> oh yeah, no problem. Um, <laughs> So it's essentially um, like with the eye movement, it's allowing your brain to reprocess that memory and Mm -hmm. almost like take it out of the like trauma box and put it into another box. So Mm -hmm. basically like allowing your brain to file that away somewhere different where it's not causing you distress constantly. Mm -hmm. That was a wonderful description of it. (laughs) Thank you for that. I know I could, because there's so many different ways you can explain it where like there's a lot of jargon involved and it's like complicated. It's mm -hmm. like, what does this even mean? Yes. But no, the way that you just explained that, perfect. Perfect. And this is also why I was like, yeah, you'll be a great person to have come on as a listener because not only do you have this like personal experience, but you also have some of the like educational background, you know? Yeah. I mean, so thank you for for covering that. But it is, I mean, I will say EMDR, like there's been so much research on it, like big organizations like APA, Department of Defense, um, recognize it as like a very effective form of treatment for helping treat trauma. Um, And it's, it, it, it's somewhat of a newer thing, but there's been so much research on it. Like it's it's a very effective treatment for trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I thought it was really random, but I think it was just like, I trusted my therapist enough to be Mm -hmm. like, okay, you wouldn't be putting this in front of me if you didn't think there was a chance that it could help me. So let's just take a gamble and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, And it ended up kind of being the, it was the right fit for me. Um, It didn't involve as much talking as um, like prolonged exposure. And it, I don't know, it just, it clicked with me. And um, so we did that for over a year probably, um, which was definitely difficult. I tend to gloss over like mm-hmm. how difficult it really is. Um, but it was definitely a hard thing, mm-hmm. but a hundred percent worth it. Yeah. Because I mean, you're, you know, all of these memories and experiences that you've kind of had to push down in order to go through life yeah. to be able to actually process life that's happening in front of you. It, are now being brought back up and you're having to like really process through it and, you know, work through the distress of it all. Um, yeah. Which obviously is a very, very vulnerable and oh, like yeah. just quite an experience I can only imagine. Um, and prior to, to starting this EMDR treatment, had you <clears throat> been diagnosed with anything specifically? So, um, the woman that I saw in undergrad, Mm -hmm. I mean, I saw her for probably, uh, two months, three months, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had been diagnosed with PTSD. Um, and I just kind of thought like, oh, okay. Like they just kind of had to put that label on me, Mm -hmm. but it's not really a thing. And then I started reading more about it and I was like, oh no, this is kind of like, I was literally reading my life Mm -hmm. as I was reading through like the symptoms and all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, that was hard to be like, it's like they were writing this about me. Yeah. But I imagine that that too also kind of made something click. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was, it was a moment where I realized that I wasn't completely alone. I think that I Mm -hmm. tended to isolate myself obviously because I had never been met with support or care when I had shared things that had happened to me. And so I tended to be like, well, I'm clearly the only person in the entire world that has ever felt this way or has ever gone through something similar. Mm -hmm. And to be able to read like in the DSM, because yeah. uh, I'm a nerd, but um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to be able to read and be like, no, like there's a group of people that got mm-hmm. together and recognize that this is something that enough people struggle with mm-hmm. that it warrants like being a disorder. Mm-hmm. And so I think it definitely was enlightening and helped me feel like I wasn't alone, even if I didn't have like a community at the time. Mm-hmm. Can you... Are you are you open to sharing what some of those symptoms of PTSD that you remember experiencing? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I 
had really, really bad flashbacks. Um, so there would be, even going through grad school, there would be moments where for prob- usually about two or three minutes at a time, I would just kind of have this blank stare on my face. Um, and it used to happen quite a lot when I was at home alone, but it also would happen out in public, which is definitely awkward when you're like at dinner with people and then all of a sudden like you're not really there. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely the flashbacks. Um, nightmares, I have a couple different ones, but there's one that I've literally had since I was nine. Um, mm-hmm. And, and these are all just, focused around the sexual yes. abuse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I've had pretty much the same nightmare since I was nine. Um, it's less frequent now, obviously, but it um, it's the same one. And I have not yet been able to kind of completely eradicate that, but it doesn't mm-hmm. happen very often. Um Let's see. I definitely avoided anything. I mean, I just tried not to be home very much. Um, so I avoided the reminders. Um, my room at my parents' house is still set up exactly the same way as it was when I was nine. Um, it's the same things hanging on the wall. It's the same bedding. It's the mm-hmm. same mattress. I mean, so it's, it's hard to go home, um, now even, but, um, I also, have like random triggers um mm-hmm. like i cannot like if people tap me on the shoulder i like jerk or like i have been known to kind of like throw an elbow back mm-hmm. um is that because which, that's something that your brother would do yes yeah um so like if i were let's say like on the computer or something and he like wanted me to do something with him he would come up and he would tap me on the shoulder um and so that's just something that i have that's just the way that my brain has processed that is that mm-hmm. that's a dangerous thing and so it just kind of enacts that like fight flight or freeze yeah thing for me still um hmm. and um i mean i think that my i was just really like hyper vigilant and my mood was just really flat like nothing could really get me excited and i was just kind of like all the time just going through the motions and pretty mm-hmm. numb yeah, um, well, that's what I was, you're just making me think of that, you know, numb. And and yes. we've talked, you know, prior to this about our love yeah. of Brene Brown. And one of the things she very beautifully says is, you know, we can't selectively numb. When you numb joy, like when you, when you numb the bad, you also numb joy and you numb love. Yeah. And you, you just, when you numb, you numb all the things. Yes. Oh, yeah. And that definitely was me for, I mean, a large period of like adolescence and young adulthood Mm -hmm. was just like it's easier to not feel anything than it is to even try to feel joy because I know that it's going to come with such Mm -hmm. sorrow and kind of grief almost Mm -hmm. um so but I think another important thing with PTSD I think people like it's very portrayed as this is something that war veterans can deal Mm -hmm. with, but it's not really something that is talked about as far as anyone else. Um, And I think, too, a lot of people misunderstand that, like, you don't even have to personally go through the trauma in order Mm -hmm. to develop PTSD. Like, if someone close to you is in a really bad car accident, you can develop PTSD just from hearing about that and kind Mm -hmm. of watching them go through it. And so I think a lot of people disenfranchise the reactions because it's like, well, I wasn't, I didn't really go through it, so I can't possibly be having this negative Mm -hmm. reaction to it. But you can. It's completely normal. Yeah, and I think we saw that. We saw that a lot, like with 9-11, that a lot of people... Oh, yeah. A lot of people started experiencing PTSD symptoms and they weren't in New York or they weren't, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. Thank you for making that point. Yes. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people, it's like something that's not really talked about that often Mm -hmm. um, because it's like, oh, well, like if you're a veteran, then like you can have PTSD. But if you're not, then like you're just being dramatic or Mm -hmm. you're just overreacting or like that can't possibly bother you that much. Yeah. And no, it can. It it definitely can. (laughs) It does. Um, and and so with going through the EMDR treatment, how has that impacted your symptoms with PTSD? Yeah, yeah. So um, I don't really flash back at all anymore. Um, I can't remember the last time <clears throat> that I have kind of like blank stare, mm-hmm. gone somewhere else for any length of time. Um, my nightmares are like maybe once a month, which I feel like is a very normal, I mean, everyone has nightmares every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I'm just better able to like go through my day and not have it be constantly on my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I, 
I'm definitely one, like, I'm a cyclical thinker Mm -hmm. and I definitely worry a lot about how other people perceive me. And so if I, um, said anything that may have alluded to like, Oh, this is something that I struggle with. I would try and like backtrack in my mind and be like, Oh, well they must think that you're crazy. And then you're going to have to go and do this because you need to make sure they don't really know that. And, um, Hmm. I think a lot of that has gone away. Um, just the, I feel like I interact with people like more authentically um, mm-hmm. instead of it being this, like I have walls up. Mm-hmm. Well, like, yeah, I mean, I'd say so. Look where we're at now. I know, <laughs> I know. And I literally, like, I I thought about this, I don't know, probably about a year ago. I was mm-hmm. like, you know, maybe I should like dabble in the advocacy and like the um, publicly sharing my story. And I was like, there is no way. Like mm-hmm. you are not that kind of person. And now I'm like, well, okay, <laughs> guess we're doing this. <laughs> yeah. No, and I'm glad you're doing it. Um, and I guess as we kind of talk through, you know, this, this little timeline of, of your life and the yeah. things that you've experienced, um, so much of like the work that you've been doing has been around like this nine-year-old inner version of your inner child uh, version of yourself. And I'm, yeah. you know, throughout your time in counseling or just your own personal work, uh, have you done any kind of work like on that inner child and like talking to her and like getting in touch with her as to what she felt? I mean, as as being an, a nine-year-old girl and being invalidated and being told that you're not safe with your family, like that's that's, yeah. a, that's a lot. Like I, I want to go back to that nine-year-old little yeah. girl and be like, <laughs> nope come here. (laughs) It's going to be okay. You know, and wanting like to talk to her. And I'm curious if you've done any of that kind of work of talking to her. Yeah. So I'm a big like journaler. Um, but Mm -hmm. I tend to, it's like feast or famine with me. Like I'm either writing furiously for like days at a time, or I like pretend I don't know how to to write anything for months. That's exactly Um, me right now. (laughs) It's really bad. Um, and so I, um, have really, found that like writing letters to people helps Mm -hmm. me and I never mail them. Um, but like Mm -hmm. if I'm feeling anger towards someone, like I've written letters to my mom and I've written a letter to my brother and I've written a letter to my abusive Mm ex-boyfriend and, um, just kind of being able to get those thoughts down on paper has been really helpful for me. Um, and so I did at one point, like write this long letter to like child me, Mm -hmm. um, And it was super awkward because I was like, I wouldn't talk to a nine-year-old like this. Mm -hmm. Um, But it just, I think. But also not every nine-year-old has experienced the things you've experienced. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think that I just had to grow up really fast just from a maturity standpoint. I all of a sudden had to be this like pillar of Mm -hmm. grace and poise at a really young age when most kids are just kind of going through life playing with toys. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... Um, yeah, so I did write a letter to nine-year-old me, um, Mm -hmm. and it was really awkward and I like didn't want to do it. I was like, this sounds really hokey. Um, but I'm super glad that I did just because I feel like I was able to say that like, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Like you don't, I'm going to probably cry right now. Um, like you don't understand now, but you will later. Mm -hmm. Um, and just that like, it's. It's scary to have no one believe you, but just like know that I do and I always did. And um, I don't know. I mean, it definitely was a hard thing to write because it just brought up a lot. And it's bringing up right now just a lot Mm -hmm. of like the things that I missed out on, Um, like Mm -hmm. having a normal childhood and like having your first boyfriend and like, I don't know, having your first kiss, not be with your brother. Like it's Mm -hmm. that's pretty normal stuff that I um, missed out on. And so I have almost kind of had to go through like a mourning and grieving process for my childhood, which has been weird mm-hmm. to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're grieving all these experiences that, that you would have liked to have had yes, and that you saw other people around you have. And this like, yeah. I imagine some like confusion as a oh, nine-year-old yeah. is like, well, wait, yeah. why? Like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that a lot for years, my biggest question was just like, well, why me? Like, Mm -hmm. why wasn't this, like, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy, but like, why did this have to happen to me? And I don't think that there is ever 
I mean, no person can give an answer to that that feels like satisfactory. Like I can't be like, oh, well, I went through this because of X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of one of those things that it happened and I'm trying to make the most of the fact that it happened and not let it Mm -hmm. like get in my way and prevent other people from benefiting from the fact that I went through something like that. Do you at all blame yourself? Um, I definitely, I mean, obviously when my mom was like, it's your fault, like Mm -hmm. you dressed a certain way, um, that definitely like internalized a lot of self-blame. And I think I, I can still get to a place where I blame myself. Um, but I think through like working with my counselor and going through EMDR, I think I definitely have kind of taken my self out of that equation. Um, and realized that it was just a really crappy environment that Mm -hmm. I was in and it had nothing to do with who I was as a person or anything that I did. It's just something that happened to me. Um, But the fact that it happened to me and not because of me Mm -hmm. allows me to like move forward without it. Like I, it's not who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that distinction has been helpful in helping me kind of like always carry the lessons that I've learned from it with me, but not have to walk around with the shame and the guilt because it wasn't my fault. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm glad that you've been able to make those distinctions because if not, I would be wanting to say them to you. (laughs) Um, And, and so now, I mean, the, the field that you're going into is school psychology and you're going to be working with nine-year-old children. Um, You know, have you processed like what that means for you? Yeah, I remember. um, So we have a clinic on campus where we do testing for children and adults. And I remember the first time that I worked with a nine-year-old, I was like looking them in the eye and like, you know, you're observing them as you're Mm -hmm. testing them, not in like a creepy way, just like seeing what they're doing. And I remember as soon as they left, I cried for probably about an hour because it was just like, I forget how young and naive and vulnerable you are at nine. Um, And so to see that sitting right in front of me was really hard. Um, But I think that having that experience has allowed me to kind of like um, disassociate from that in a healthy way. Not like I'm never going to feel anything again, Mm -hmm. but like that I, because there are nine-year-olds that are very carefree and vulnerable Mm -hmm. and there are nine-year-olds that are going through similar things to what I went through and sometimes like worse things than I went through. And so I think that it's, it's allowed me to kind of have the empathy to meet people where they Mm -hmm. are, especially kids, because a lot of times, I mean, a kid isn't necessarily going to walk up to you and say like, this is something that's happening to happening to me at home. Um, But to be able to see kind of the Mm -hmm. markers of that and watch the behavior and be able to notice like, Oh, there's probably something going on. How Mm -hmm. can I step in and help? um, Yeah. And also probably because you can relate in some ways to seeing those signs. Yeah, and be like, oh, like when I was in third grade, Mm -hmm. I was also doing that. Mm -hmm. And to be able to empathize on that level has been beneficial. Yeah. I mean, I imagine in some ways it's, you know, while you're already doing this healing work on your own inner child, but then you're also able to like pay it forward and help with the healing with other children before they have to do the work on their own inner child later on as an adult. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely like, I remember, um, like writing all of my essays to get into grad school and like Mm -hmm. trying to figure out how like vulnerable to be. And I remember in every single one of them, I wrote some variation of like, if I can help one child not go through something like I went through, Mm -hmm. then like my career will be worth it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that definitely has just kind of been a motivation for me all the way through is um, being able Mm -hmm. to prevent kids from having to go through some of the things that I've gone through because it hasn't been fun or easy, Mm -hmm. but it's been worth it. Yeah. And also, I mean, I'm just going to take a shot in the dark here and say that you probably have already helped several children before your career even fully starting at this point. Um, I'm sure that you have already done that and are making huge differences in children's lives. Um, And before we have to kind of wrap up a little bit, I do want to touch on kind of like where you're at today in terms of your relationships with uh, your family and with your brothers. Yeah. um, If you're comfortable sharing some of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's 
totally fine. Um, so I, um, still live about like 14 hours away from my parents. Um, my older brother got married a couple of years ago. Um, and I was actually a bridesmaid in the wedding. Um, mm. and my sister-in-law does not know anything that mm. happened between my brother and I. Um, so that's definitely a hard relationship just because I feel like as much as I'm walking on eggshells around my family in general, then mm. here's this new person that yeah. doesn't even know what kind of situation she's walking into. And I, there's a level of almost like, I feel bad for her mm-hmm. because I'm like, this is who you married, but you don't even know it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that has been definitely difficult. Being in the wedding was really hard because, you know, you stand up there and you want to smile and be happy and clap and cheer. And um, I didn't really feel a whole lot of that um, mm-hmm. at the wedding. And so that was hard. Um, and um, so my younger brother lives about six hours from me. And so I see him pretty regularly. We're really close. But I really only go home like for Christmas and maybe for a couple days over the summer. Um, so I don't really see my parents too much, but we definitely have a very surface level relationship. Like if I'm crying because something went wrong at school or something's going on, my mom is not a person that I call because mm-hmm. um, I'm typically met with judgment and kind of shaming. Mm-hmm. Um, so we definitely don't have a an ideal mother-daughter relationship. Um, it's very surface level. Is, and is that something else you have to kind of mourn? It's hard. Yeah, it's really hard, especially watching like my friends be really close with their moms mm-hmm. and like, I don't know, like going on vacations with their family and being so happy and like taking pictures with their mom and like putting them on social media. And I'm especially like Mother's Day is always really hard because everyone's like, my mother's great and you don't know my mom, but she's the best. And I'm like, I don't have that. Um, and I know that there are a lot of other people that are in my boat, um, but it's hard when you feel like you're the only, like I'm the only one in my immediate Mm -hmm. circle that's in that situation. So yeah, it's definitely hard. And I've had to kind of mourn the fact that we're likely never going to have that type of relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, but. And I mean, how does that feel? Um, it sucks. Like, I don't, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. Um, it's like, I, I'm typically one and I'm sure you've noticed I do this quite often. I like put bows on things. Mm -hmm. So I like will say something really hard and then I'll be like, but it's been worth it. Or like, Mm -hmm. but it's been helpful. And I just kind Mm -hmm. of like tie it with a bow because I don't like making other people uncomfortable. And I know that there are parts of my story that can make people Mm -hmm. feel really uncomfortable. Which Um, also is not your responsibility. And you're not making me uncomfortable at all. And if someone listening is uncomfortable, they don't have to keep listening. So so really, I I don't want you to be concerned with that at all. And, you know, Brene would say like, own your, own your story, you know, and like, those are parts of your story and you don't have to sugarcoat it and you don't have to make it sound like this, you know, nicely tied up story. It's a little messy and there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of sadness involved and like, that is what it is and like it's okay for you to feel that and it's okay for you to share it how it is yeah and so definitely like my relationship with my mom it just kind of sucks and there's Mm -hmm. no sugarcoating that or saying like but it's been like I've grown from it um it still sucks and it probably will suck for a really Mm -hmm. long time um and I'm not even gonna put a but statement on the end of that because it's it's just hard and that's just mm-hmm. something that I've had to walk through and it's been, no, I'm going to stop there. Okay. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. Well, well, we'll stop there with mom. Um, and, <laughs> and with your older brother, I mean, yes. how does that feel when you do see him? Like when you have to go home for Christmas or, yeah. I mean, yeah, just what so, kind of feelings come up there? There's never yeah, been like a I, conversation with him, like as adults about what happened. Um, no, no. He said, um, so the day after I told my mom, he said, um, I'm sorry if I hurt you. And that was the end of it. And um, that's the only words that have ever been passed between the two of us regarding the topic. Um, and so now, I mean, I don't know. My family is big on like, when you come home, everyone like hugs everyone. And when you leave, everyone hugs everyone. And so that's always really awkward. I try to like mysteriously have to go to the bathroom or like go outside when those kinds of things happen, because I just, I don't like, like being physically close to him. Um, but it's definitely been hard. I think that we 
I mean, we just don't have a relationship. It's Mm -hmm. essentially like I go home and he'll just say like, oh, how's school? And I'll Mm -hmm. be like, oh, it's good. How's work? It's good. And then that's about it. Like we don't know any details about each other's lives whatsoever. So do you think he has any idea that that this is something that you struggle with and that you've had to do, you know, all this work and that you've had this trauma stemming from his actions? I would hope that he does. Um, I don't. I doubt it, though. I just think that my family is very naive and in denial, Mm -hmm. like to the nth degree. Um, And they just have those blinders on where it's it's literally like it never happened. Um, Mm -hmm. But I would hope that on some level he recognizes. I mean, he obviously knows what he did. And so I hope that he would recognize that that has been difficult for me. But I'm not sure that I'll ever get that like validation from him. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, part of me is almost curious if if it's something that that he has struggled with as an adult processing that he did. Um, Right, yeah. And I have literally no idea. And mm -hmm. that's something I've toyed around with, like, writing him a letter and actually sending it or, like, really kind of talking to him. And I think that I've always just decided that it's with him. I'm not sure it's worth opening up that box just Mm -hmm. because I'm – I'm really not sure what would happen and I don't want my like self-worth or Mm -hmm. me to be damaged. And so it's almost like it's just easier the way that it is right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe one day it'll be a conversation to be had. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I, who knows really what he has done. Mm -hmm. We're just not close. And it's weird to all be sitting in a room and be like, I literally know nothing about your life. And I'm yeah. your sister. But that's mm-hmm. that's where we're at. And I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you one more time to to challenge you on this of yes. of how that makes you feel. Cause you've said it's hard, it sucks, it sucks, it's hard. Yeah. But yeah. like feeling, like how yeah. how does that feel? Yeah. Um it feels sorry i'm trying to come up with like the right word for it um maybe it's like a sound like sometimes i can't think of a feeling when someone asks me and i'm like it just feels like (laughs) (laughs) and i just say weird noises maybe it's a noise i don't know it I think it makes me angry, but anger is not an emotion that I'm very comfortable with. And Mm -hmm. so I, I sugarcoat a lot of emotions, but anger is one of the big ones that I don't feel comfortable feeling. Um, -hmm. because sometimes I don't feel entitled to be angry, but I think it's like you have a right to be angry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which like I know that I yeah, you know, for years it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. And anger yeah. is also typically like an umbrella emotion protecting us from yes. the other really vulnerable feelings. Yeah, yeah. So I think that I'm I'm angry at like what was taken away from me. Um, mm-hmm. Like I could have had a strong relationship with him and I mean, had none of this ever happened, like I could have had a strong relationship with my brother. And so it feels sad and just kind of like blah that that's like Mm -hmm. not an option um because it's hard to get past the fact that like things are never going to change with Mm -hmm. him um because as much work as I've done and as much processing and changing as I've done if he's not gonna put in the same level of work there's not going to be anything that changes in our relationship. And so that's Mm -hmm. definitely, it's, it's sad. Um, because I just, I want my family to be normal and we're very not normal. And Mm -hmm. it's, you know, you want the like picture perfect, like all my siblings are really close and we like do everything together and that's not a reality that I'll ever have. And so again, it is like that grieving. And I used to think that grieving was just like if someone died, Mm -hmm. like then you're allowed to grieve, but like losing a friendship or losing like your childhood or Mm -hmm. the potential for a relationship with your family that's actually substantial. Like those are things to grieve as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think there's been a lot of tears and a lot of hard questions about, like why I can't have that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's understandable. I'm, again, still just so blown away at, at like how you've been able to really internally do all of this work 
kind of on your own. I mean, yeah. basically with, with, with your therapist and with, you know, some uh, friends with, in grad school and everything, yeah. but you know, I mean, you're, how old are you? 25. Yeah. Same age as me at 25. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that you've essentially done all of this work kind of on your own. And like, I hope that yeah. you kind of take credit for the work that you've done and, and how, how strong you are to, to have done it all and to be still doing it. Um, because again, you could still just be like pushing things down and, and I'm sure that that still happens occasionally, but oh, like, for sure. yeah. but to have the courage to like actually face it all is amazing. Yeah. Well, thanks. And I think that grad school is definitely not an ideal time to sort of just mm-hmm. be constantly an emotional mess. Um, I don't know. Grad like school is kind of an emotional mess for me too. <laughs> it's just like, so like grad school itself, you're an emotional mess. And then like to be mm-hmm. dealing with this on top of it, I'm like, this was not yeah. ideal timing, but I mean, it, it ended up being mm-hmm. great. It just, for a while, I was like, why am I doing this? Yeah. Like, cause I'm crying every night cause I don't want to do homework, but then I'm also crying because I'm like opening all these boxes that I don't want to open. Yep. And it was definitely difficult for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the boxes kind of open at once makes it a little bit difficult yes. to start unpacking things. Yes. Yeah. Like something has to have a lid on it at mm-hmm. some point, but yes, absolutely. Ugh. I just can't, I'm like, Thank you, Thank you for yeah. for being vulnerable and for for sharing with me. And I just like I hope you know. Like, do you know? Do I know? Like, what? like just. I, I hope. First of all, I'm I'm really glad that you came on and talked about it. And second, I hope that you listen back. Maybe not the yeah. week it comes out. Maybe, oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> maybe give yourself some time. But I really, I hope that you listen back and I hope that you can hear your strength and I hope you can hear your vulnerability and I hope that you can like feel a sense of like empowerment over your story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like as I've been talking, there's been like that voice in my head that's like, well, you're saying the wrong thing and you're like screwing this up and like they don't want to know that. Um, but I, I'm just thinking back to like listening to like, the podcast when other people have been on it. And I've literally never thought that mm-hmm. about anyone that has been a guest. And so it's like, I can't put that kind of pressure on myself because yeah. it's not fair. Um, so I, I'll listen back eventually. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Good. hopefully I will see it through a different lens. <laughs> yeah. And I hope we'll, we'll touch base again once you listen back and yeah. like we'll, we'll process it a little bit, but cool. um Thank you again so much for coming on yeah. and, and sharing. And, and I guess I want to ask you too, before we say goodbye, um, if there's anything that you want listeners to know about your story or that you would want to uh, tell listeners, maybe someone who's like going through something similar, just anything else that you want to like kind of leave people with? Yeah. Um, so there's an organization, it's called RAIN, but it has two ends. Um, it's the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. Um, and they have a ton of wonderful resources for anyone that is experiencing something similar to what I went through or really any sexual assault in any form. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also have a lot of really good resources if someone you love has been through this, just kind of some tips about like ways to interact with them and ways to be there for them. Because I think that's also a very uncomfortable thing. Mm-hmm. And so they definitely provide guidelines for how to support someone who is going through something like this. Um, So little plug. Um, But um, I guess if you're listening and like any part of my story resonates with you, maybe you've been through something similar, maybe you're currently going through something similar, um, definitely reach out and talk to someone, um, whether that's, I mean, you can definitely email me if you want to, um, or I mean, talking to a parent or a teacher or really anyone. I just think that, um, there's not enough communication and, um, I just think that telling someone once it's once you're not the only one that's holding this mm-hmm. in and someone can share that burden, it definitely becomes lighter and easier to manage. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We all got to just like talk more about stuff because yes. stuff is hard. Oh, for sure. For <laughs> sure. And there's so much stigma around, especially like sexual abuse and mm-hmm. still, I mean, like rape and all of that kind of stuff. And I think that um, 
it just it needs to be talked about because it's obviously widely experienced mm-hmm. and ignoring it isn't going to make it go away. Yep. So. Yep. And silence only feeds shame. Another Brene. That is true. Just, yep. Uh, thank <laughs> she you. She is a goddess among men. Yes. Um, She's wonderful. And so I will list uh, the organization Rain and your email yeah. that you can be reached at in the episode notes description, so you guys can message her and you know ask questions or share your thoughts or give some support. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on and talking. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Yeah. <laughs> I was worried, but it's actually been very like freeing and enjoyable. So thank you for asking the right questions and letting me ramble. (laughs) Not rambling at all. And no, thank (laughs) you. Um, And if you guys also want to, you know, send in emails with questions of topics or whatever, uh, you guys can email me at ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. That's where you emailed me and now we're here. Um, (laughs) But also love reading your guys' reviews on iTunes. So please head on over there and let me know what you're enjoying about the podcast. And um, yeah, that does it for today's episode. And thank you guys so much for listening. And I will talk with you next time. This podcast is brought to you by Wave Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows, including the Brain Candy Podcast, I Don't Get It, Babes and Babies, Coffee Convos, and Let's Talk About It. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.